Today we have Dr. Peter Mihalos, our in-house genius. Dr. Mihalos, uh, what are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to talk about how to help our audience prevent heart attacks and strokes and the importance of elevated lipid profile. And we talked about one of the markers that's not used here in the United States as much, but is used a lot more in Europe, and it's called the apolipoprotein B. And that's basically the carrier. It's like the truck that carries all of the lipid particles. And LDL, the mnemonic is L is for lousy cholesterol, and H is the happy cholesterol. The happy cholesterol, why do they call it that? Because it actually has the ability to suck out some of the bad cholesterol out of the walls of arterial plaques before it really gets dense. And then the LDL, the lousy cholesterol, is actually two particles. 80% of it is a large, more buoyant particle. And then there's a smaller particle, which is the one that builds up the plaque and, and it causes people to end up needing heart stents and heart attacks. And that smaller particle, it turns out that everybody thought it was associated with just eating fats, but it turns out that eating carbohydrates and sugar causes a higher level of that bad, smaller particle that seems to penetrate into the walls of blood vessels and builds up as plaque. So in addition to your cholesterol number, your triglyceride number, your LDL, your HDL, it turns out that if you can find out your apolipoprotein B level, it turns out that that as a marker is 70% more predictive than your LDL level, which is only 40% predictive of whether you're going to get a heart attack or not. And that's coming out of the new cardiology literature. So we tell our patients, consult with your doctor. And could you check my apolipoprotein B? I'd like to know where it is. And if it's somewhere between 50 and 75, you're pretty safe. If it's over 100, you have a problem and you need to be on some different measures for cholesterol control. And there's even some new medications called PSK9 inhibitors. And they're developing one where you take a shot once a year or once every six months, and it'll control your cholesterol. Those things are on the horizon. Right now, they have a shot that's every two weeks, and it works great for people who react to some of the other prescription cholesterol medicine, because some of them have side effects of muscle ache, bone pain, fatigue, and other uh, issues, and they end up stopping them. Of course, in milder cases, you can consult with your doctor. Some of the integrative medicine doctors also use things like red yeast rice with CoQ10 because actually Lipitor and some of those other drugs, the basis are made from a natural substance called red yeast rice. So that's why that's become also popular. But consult with your physician, control your cholesterol and your lipid profile, avoid heart attacks and plaque and try to uh, be healthy. And the association, once again, with sugar and sugar and that bad component of the LDL cholesterol, the smaller particles that are bad, we now know associated with sugar. So please try to control blood sugar. And of course, intermittent fasting is a great way to control blood sugar and also helps to bring down your lipid profile. And that's basically the most important thing that I really want to talk about today. And also it's involved in preventing heart attacks and strokes. And if you, especially if you have a family history, you need to control it and you need to find out because if you have a genetic predisposition to high lipids and high cholesterol, you really need to catch it early because this stuff starts building. They found plaques building up in people, you know, teenagers who are start eating things like, uh, you know, cakes and maple walnut cakes and uh, hamburgers and all these different things that we were exposed to as kids and all the white bread commercials that we were exposed to. And it turns out that those things all help slowly but surely build up plaque and help so many Americans who develop things like diabetes. So we want to start teaching our audience. We want a healthy audience. 
And uh, one additional thing, when we had dinner last week and we talked about the difference between uh, when I said to you some of the fruits and vegetables we eat about eating the skin, and uh, you made a uh, good revelation that if it grows on trees, you can eat the skin. In other words, if a fig grows on a tree, I guess you can eat the skin. But if it grows on the ground like a tomato, then you shouldn't eat the skin. Well, what happens is, think about it, how does, you know, nature work? If, if, if you're down by ground level, animals will want to eat you. But the skin of a tomato, which some people think are uh, lectins, which uh, they think cause leaky gut syndrome and like little razor blades. And that's why a lot of animals don't really like eating the skin of tomatoes. And some animals avoid it because they know they actually feel sick after they eat them. And the same reason in Italy, uh, tomatoes were introduced from the New World in 1492. And they don't eat the skin, they eat the insides. So when things are higher up, they've evolved over time. They're not worried about being eaten up. You know, even the plant world has intelligence and it has developed a force field around it that makes its skin more toxic so that other animals won't want to eat it. So things that are underground, like some of the root vegetables, they're okay because animals don't have easy access to them. The low-hanging things like tomatoes and eggplants and things like that, I think... Now, now, potatoes... Are they underground or are they above ground? Well, they're not. They're very shallow, so that's why the skin of potatoes. And the other reason is that a lot of things are exposed to pesticides, and most of the pesticides that you eat in a fruit are on the skin because it's a shield. That's why inside some of the best, cleanest, filtered water that you're ever going to have in your life is inside the fruit. So when you're having some nice watermelon and you test the water inside a watermelon, it's some of the freshest, cleanest water. But some of the most toxic area is the skin, any fruit, because it's exposed to various pesticides and other agents to try to control insects and bugs. So that's why, in general, it's probably better to avoid skin wherever you can. And also, organic vegetables don't have that shiny wax material. When we eat some of these shiny apples, it's sprayed on wax to seal it in. You're eating that wax. We don't really know what some of these things are doing to our gut microbiome or when our gut microbacteria see that stuff that and, is not, and, these are things not from nature. And we said uh, strawberries were okay to eat with the skin because there's no way to peel a strawberry and, and raspberries and blackberries and blueberries. And blueberries. Are they're great also because they have a low glycemic index and I tested that myself when I put on one of those patches that monitors glucose and blueberries had a low glycemic index but when I ate grapes it shot out of the ballpark and when I ate white rice or white bread sugar shot up out of the ballpark so that's part of you know the uh, and if you American. eat a bagel you're in deep trouble because it goes to 300 sell when it gets to yeah. 300 well that's why some people were smart invented the flagel which is basically they took the inside of it out and that's why a lot of times you and I when we do cheat sometimes and have a bagel, we gut out the uh, bread on the inside and just try to have the outside to reduce the glycemic index. And that does help, and I've tested that out. So flagels, which are thinner, actually are not as bad as having a full-fledged bagel. Dr. Peter Mihalos, thank you for the update, and thank you for helping keeping all the listeners live longer. And God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you, John, and thanks for always getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable.